0: If you'd like to be turning your Bibles to Joshua chapter 9, just a few moments, we're going to read a, a passage from Joshua 9. We're going to stay in the chapter as a whole for our sermon tonight, but we're going to notice just a few things from that. I was coming across some interesting information a while back and I researched it and refreshed myself today about it, but I enjoy reading things that uh, most people probably find not very uh, interesting. And uh, Nicole and the girls have often told me that I was a good source for worthless knowledge. Useless knowledge. Trivia that really doesn't matter. Not going to make a difference for anything, but I happen to find it interesting. I remember on one occasion I was speaking with Nicole, and for whatever reason we came uh, came to talk about... uh, uh, hippopotamus and uh, their lifestyles, and they're kind of nocturnal. And during the day, they will uh, uh, go out into the water, and they will stay under the water, and they try to stay out of the sun. They they sunburn easily. And I made mention the length of time they could hold their breath, and and I don't know how I came to that knowledge. And Nicole she found that a little hard to believe, and I said, well, look it up, and so she did, and lo and behold, I was correct. But that doesn't help us any, having the knowledge of how long a hippopotamus can hold its breath. But I came across some other information, and I was noticing there is an odd relationship between certain kinds of ants in the world and certain kinds of butterflies. And uh, there is a butterfly that is common to uh, parts of England, common to parts of Australia and Japan. It's called the, the big blue butterfly. And it's not always blue, but it is a, a big blue butterfly. And the the way that the uh, butterfly comes to be is like every other butterfly. It, it is a caterpillar and then it uh, works itself into a cocoon and then it becomes a butterfly, but it is babysat by ants. It might be a bullet ant, it could be a fire ant, a red ant, it could be any kind of ant, and what happens is this this caterpillar disguises itself, or to the animal kingdom it disguises itself, it just looks like a caterpillar to me, and the ants believe it's one of them. And it can even mimic the sound of the, of the queen ant, or the, uh, one of the queen ants, or, or whatever the case may be. Now the reason that this is such an odd relationship is this caterpillar produces from its body a glandular substance that the ants eat. And it's a very sweet substance and they become, almost as it were, addicted to it. They will even leave uh, their, their nest if uh, the caterpillar is, if it's a particular kind of blue butterfly, it may uh, live on a leaf or something and it may be a handful of these ants will leave the nest and just remain and guard that caterpillar as it feeds on this uh, secretion. Now sometimes, they will even take the caterpillar into the nest with them and feed the thing and take care of it because they think it's an ant. And it sounds like a queen ant, and they're eating these secretions, but what they fail to realize is, do you know what the caterpillar lives on for the most part? Ant larvae. So they've got this caterpillar and they're guarding it from predators on the outside. They're feeding off the secretions and all the while they're losing numbers to this caterpillar. And it, does, and it can't survive on just one nest of ants. It has to go from nest to nest until it becomes a butterfly. So it may decimate several ant colonies. Someone says... Well, I'm glad people are smarter than ants. Are they? Let's notice Joshua chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. And it came to pass when all the kings which were on this side, Jordan, in the hills and in the valleys and in all the coasts of the great sea over against Lebanon, the Hittite and the Amorite and the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite heard thereof that they gathered themselves together to fight with Joshua and with Israel with one accord. And when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and Ai, they did work wilily, and went and made as if they had been ambassadors, and took old sacks upon their asses and wine bottles, old and rent and bound up, and old shoes and clouded upon their feet, and old garments upon them, and all the bread of their provisions was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua unto the camp of Gilgal, and said unto him, and to the men of Israel, We be come from a far country, now therefore make ye a league with us. On entering the promised land, Israel had defeated Jericho, they had defeated Ai, they had a little issue at Ai, they rooted out the problem, they went on to victory. But after having defeated that small city, they needed to learn another lesson. They needed to learn about becoming friendly with the enemy. They needed to take into account that when one is maintaining their position with God, they have to constantly be vigilant. As we study the conquest of Canaan, I think we can look at it as Christians and see similarities between what Israel did... Or maybe what they didn't do and what we ought to do as Christians. Now, those historical counts or accounts have been preserved for us for a reason. Romans 15 4 says that they have been preserved for our learning. And we must gain the lessons preserved for us as we study these interactions of the people of the Old Testament. Jericho was defeated, and we have the promise of victory as Christians, over the world if we walk with God. I think we can look at certain battles and maybe we can make a connection to ourselves. Ai was defeated, but only after Israel overcame the sins of the flesh. You had Achan, and he wanted the the physical things that he was not to have in this world, and God told them what they could take and what they could not take, and he chose to... uh, do the things that He wanted to do. And we're commanded as Christians that we can defeat, and we're commanded to defeat, the sins of the flesh in battle if we'll walk with Jesus at our side, Romans 7, 24 and 25. In Joshua chapter 9, Israel had to fight against Satan in the form of the Gibeonites. They came to them, and they convinced God's people with a lie. And so... We can understand and learn from that that we face on a daily basis Satan who's trying to convince God's people today with a lie. Trying to get us to drop our guards. Trying to get us to believe that or to convince ourselves that something is right even when really we know that it is not. We know that we can win. And James said this, James 4 verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. We've seen that happen. We've seen it happen in our own lives, and we've witnessed Christ be successful, Matthew chapter 4, in resisting Satan and Satan leaving him at least for a while. As we look into this account of Israel and the Gibeonites, I think we learn of the danger in becoming friendly with the enemy. We look at a, uh, of an illustration of something in the animal world, and we look at that and we think how... Uh, moronic it is to bring a, a killer into your own midst and allow it to to feed upon your uh, uh, your brood and, and end the life of a of a colony. Right when we look at this relationship between the big blue butterfly and whatever ant colony finds itself with, we look at that and we think, well, that's kind of that's kind of rough and they they're not really on their guard. Well, they're on their guard, but see they've been deceived. And when we look at these examples in the Old Testament, we can understand that it is dangerous to become friendly with the enemy. That's what I've titled the lesson tonight, Friendly with the Enemy. It's dangerous because the enemy is deceptive. The enemy will deceive you. We see it in this illustration of the butterfly-ant relationship, and we see it in this example of the Gibeonites with Israel. Now we must be alert to the wiles of the devil. We see that's what these people were doing. Where did they learn that? They learned it from Satan. They learned to be dishonest. Paul encouraged, Ephesians 6 verse 11, "...put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil." Now when the Gibeonites heard about Israel marching in their direction, they got together, they began to scheme, and they came up with a plan to deceive Joshua and Israel because they knew what was coming. They understood. Now they had some information. And you know what that tells us? They knew about what God had done for Israel. Coming out of Egypt some 40 years prior to that, they made no effort to change their lifestyles. None whatsoever They knew about the power of God. Even prior to coming over into the land of Canaan, they would heard about the defeat of the Amorite kings. Made no effort to change their lifestyles. That tells us a lot about them. At any rate, they heard about Israel coming, so they devised this scheme. Put on old clothes got worn out wine bottles, took moldy bread, their shoes were falling off of them, and they came with this wonderful lie. We're ambassadors from a far country. How would anybody fall for that? That just sounds like a scam. You know, I'm from a place way away from here. But that's what the enemy does. The enemy is deceptive. And again, they learned those maneuvers from Satan. Now Paul told us, Be wary. Watch out. Be cautious about the devil's wiles. Now this word wile or wiles refers to deceit, to trickery, and the cunning arts. Con artists, right? Satan likes nothing better than to deceive the people of the world into falling into their traps. Now Satan, or Paul said, Satan used snares. 1 uh, Timothy 3, verse 7. So we have to be aware of those traps. He'll snare people like a, a fowler would snare a bird. Or a hunter would would snare game. That's what Satan does. He's out hunting. I want us to notice how the Gibeonites approached Israel. They didn't approach them looking like uh, people who were just over the hill, right? Around the Around the bend just walked on over. No, they dressed themselves as if they were from a far country. They looked like normal, regular people that you might want to have a relationship with. See, they disguised themselves. They covered up who they really were. They didn't want Israel to see that. And you know what happened? Israel let their guard down. Satan took advantage of it. And Israel disobeyed God. Now I want us to remember, when Satan comes our way, he's not going to come at us in a red suit with a pointy tail and horns. Now Hollywood would like for us to believe that. And I'll tell you something else he's not going to do. He's not going to come at us looking like someone who, who played in the exorcist or some kind of a, a, an ugly monster. That's not going to happen. He's not going to do that. Why? Let me tell you something. If I'm walking down a dark alley and someone like that jumps out at me, I'm on my guard. Right? I'm on my guard. But when we see someone who just looks normal, someone who speaks normally, someone who appears to be just like everyone else, they let their guard down. You know, Joshua understood what it meant to travel from a far country, didn't he? He may have even uh, felt a little bit sorry for these people, right? He may have wanted to do something to help them because he understood what that was all about. That's how Satan attacks us, right? He comes to us, He gets us to drop our guards, and it is at that point He springs His snare and He's captured us. We've just allowed Him to walk right on into the nest and begin to devour our people. I want us to remember what Paul said, 2 Corinthians 11, beginning with 14. He said, In no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light, therefore it is no great thing." If his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Enemies are deceptive with their wiles, and they are definitely deceptive with their words. Notice the first thing in our text. The men of Gibeon lied. That's the very first thing we notice about them. They lied. They told a lie. They claimed to be from somewhere they were not. They were very careful not to mention anything that had been happening inside the country recently. Oh, they talked about 40 years prior. They talked about Moses' victory over the Amorite kings, but they didn't say a thing about crossing the Jordan. Everybody knew that, right? Jericho had heard about it. That's why they were fearful of Israel. They didn't talk about that. They didn't talk about Jericho being destroyed. Ai had heard about Jericho. They didn't talk about uh, all the other things like the five kings had, had come together and Joshua 9 began with verse 1 and talked about how they decided they were going to group up. They heard the news, right? Bad news travels quickly and they knew bad news was coming their way. But they didn't mention any of those things. Why? Because they did not want Joshua and Israel to know who they were. They were deceptive. I think that is the perfect picture of our enemy. Brethren, someone is not going to come into a congregation of the Lord's people, or normally I wouldn't think this would happen, and say, I'm here to change everything you've always believed in. I'm here to change it for what we prefer, and it's not what God wants, but I think that we would enjoy that more. I don't know that I've ever heard of that happening. They're going to be deceptive with their wiles, they're going to have a scheme, They're going to lie with their words. And we see Satan enticing the people of the world with his words to get them to yield to what he wants. We see it in the garden, don't we? We see it happen. Enticing words. No one made anyone uh, disobey God. They were enticed to do it. We see it in the pre-flood days prior to... God destroying the earth. We see Satan doing that. People doing what they want to do. We see it in the life of Pharaoh. Who's going to tell Pharaoh what to do? Who's going to tell Pharaoh what to do? Maybe that's what Satan told Pharaoh. King? You're the king of the known world. Do you mean you're going to allow this shepherd to come in here and demand that you turn your slaves loose? See, He's deceptive in his words. I wonder... What all Satan did say to those who sinned against God? Have you ever wondered what Satan said to Cain to encourage him to kill his own brother? He had to have said something to him. I wonder what he told David to cause him to sin with Bathsheba and then murder her husband. What in the world could he have said to Judas to cause him to betray our Lord? He said something. What has Satan told us in the past? Maybe he's telling us something right now in the form of someone trying to influence us or whatever. Now, he's not going to speak to us directly. That doesn't happen anymore. But he still influences us. He still gets his message across. I wonder what he's saying. You see, Paul warned us Second 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11 that Satan wants to gain an advantage. Christ told Peter prior to going to the cross, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. He wants to harvest you. He wants you to be His own. And He'll do whatever is necessary. And Peter almost fell for it. He was knee deep in it before he came out, right? He'll use any opportunity to trick us into following Him into failure. Being friendly with the enemy is dangerous. It's dangerous because the enemy is deceptive. And our second point, We notice it in our text, the enemy is destructive. He will destroy us. Israel's ability to see clearly and to reason clearly was destroyed. They lost that ability for a period of time. Not God's fault. Not because they couldn't see clearly, but they chose not to see clearly. Initially, when we look in our text, Joshua was skeptical, wasn't he? He said, now who are you? From where did you come? And he began to ask them some questions. And, and you, I think we ought to commend him for his caution. We ought to commend him for asking a question. You know what? We ought to ask questions. Someone tells us something. Listen, if they can't tell us where they find it in the Bible, ignore it. That's That's a pretty good litmus test, isn't it? If you can't show me in the Bible a certain belief or doctrine that someone holds, I'm not interested. And so we ought to commend Joshua for this, but I, but the problem is he gave up just a little bit too soon. When they began to show him their clothes and their food and their, their animals and their broken wineskins, he became a little more than impressed with what they were doing. And I can't help but believe it goes back to he knew what that felt like. He knew what it felt like to wander around in a in a dusty, lonely wilderness. He understood what it was like to have to live out of tents. He understood what it was like to to watch a whole generation of people die because they were unfaithful to God. He understood that and I think his heart went out to them and he was suckered in by their deceit and by their destructiveness. He could not see clearly. When Peter demanded for us to be sober and be vigilant, 1 Peter 5.8, normally when I look at that verse, you know what pops out at me? Satan's like a lion. He wants to kill us. Oh, that's true. We need to understand that. But we need to look at the whole verse, right? Be sober, be vigilant. You know what that means? We don't have to fall for every lie that Satan tells. We don't have to do that. We need to be cautious. We need to ask questions. After all, Satan's a liar and the father of lies. John 8, 44. When we allow our vision to become dim, and you know why our vision becomes dim? We're not studying the Word of God. We're not praying to God. We're not communing with God. We're going to notice that in just a moment. When, we, when our vision becomes dim, it's because we have ignored the very things put into place to prevent that from happening. We're commanded in Ephesians 4 verse 27, Paul said for us not to give place to the devil. What does that mean? We don't necessarily speak like that in today's uh, language. That means do not give him an opportunity. He has enough opportunity without us giving him opportunity. Do not give a place for the devil to tempt me to sin. Don't Allow myself to have my vision uh, destroyed where I can't see clearly. Don't ignore the message of God. Don't abandon prayer. Stay in a relationship with God and that will help prevent Satan from getting me into his lie and his sin. We're commanded to not give place to the devil. Israel's ability to see clearly was destroyed. And their ability to seek counsel was, was destroyed. Did they go to God in prayer? Did they ask God about these people? Why in the world, if you have an avenue of communication with the God of heaven, did they not take advantage of it? I could ask the same thing to us today. And I ask myself that sometimes. I have an avenue of communication with God and sometimes I simply overlook it. That's just, that's unacceptable. That's unacceptable. That's unacceptable. What did Israel do after speaking briefly with those visitors? Do you recall? He didn't ask God about them. They sat down to break bread. What did that mean? That meant they were in fellowship. That meant that they were friendly. But who were these people? Who were these people? Let's think back. Who were they? They were inhabitants of Canaan. What did God command Israel to do to all the inhabitants of Canaan? Destroy them utterly, man, woman, child, everything. And someone says, Well, that's terrible, but let's go back to what we were talking about earlier in the chapter. What did they know about God? They knew he was powerful, and they he brought Israel up out of Egypt. They knew he was powerful, he defeated the Amorite kings. They knew he was powerful. He allowed them to cross a flooded Jordan River. They knew He was powerful. They destroyed Jericho. The walls just fell down. They knew He was powerful. After having repented of the sin in their camp, they went on to defeat Ai. And all the while, we're talking more than 40 years, what did they do? Nothing. They were not Israel's friends. They were not God's friends. And they should have been destroyed. Yet, Joshua is sitting down to fellowship with these people. We need to seek counsel from God regularly. You know, there may be decisions that we make in this life that in the moment seems like a pretty good decision. (laughs) Have you ever done that? Have you ever made a decision in this life and in the moment, you said, boy, that's a good decision. I should have done that a long time ago. Only to realize, sometimes immediately, that may be one of the worst things I've ever done in my life. I made a mistake. Again, God's not going to speak to us directly, but He is going to guide us. He will give us wisdom. We know that's the truth. James 1 verse 5. James tells the reader, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given to him. How does he do it? Through a study of the Word of God. Through a study of the Bible. He'll give us wisdom. We'll be able to look at the examples. We'll be able to understand that that we don't have to fall for something just because someone says it's true without checking for evidences. That's what Joshua began to do. He began to check for evidence. He was initially skeptical, but he fell for the lie. Israel became friendly with the enemy and it cost them. And it cost them a lot. We cannot become friendly with our enemy because they are deceptive, they are destructive, but here's one thing we need to walk away with. Our enemy can be defeated. But how is that going to happen? Well, let's look at the example of Joshua. The first thing is the enemy needs to be confronted. What did Joshua do? When he found out what the people had done, he went straight to them and he rebuked them and he confronted them. And he said, why did you do this? Why did you tell a lie? I think there's a lesson in that for us. You know, just because someone tells us something when we come to find out that it is not true, does not mean that we just simply ignore it. We can't do that. Joshua didn't do it. God didn't do it. And we need to be more like, like Jesus, who when He was t- tempted by Satan, He went to the Word of God. He said, that's not right and this is why. It doesn't matter what I think or what I believe or how I feel. We need to go to the, the truth of the book that caused Satan to flee, from Jesus, The enemy must be confronted. The enemy must be controlled. Joshua did that. He found out. He had made a league with them. He had swore on the name of God not to kill them, so now he finds himself in a difficult position, right? He can't do to them what God commanded, but he controlled them. He didn't allow them to go rampant, go throughout and assimilate into the people. He put them in a particular place, doing a particular thing, and he could control the situation. Joshua realized the seriousness of what happened. You know, here are the facts that we all face in this life from time to time. We're going to make a mistake. We're going to do something God would have rather us not to have done, something that He told us not to do. Or maybe we didn't do something that we should have done. But at that time, we need to step up and not allow our mistakes to have a permanent place in our lives, control the enemy. Stop the enemy. Just because Satan gets a hold of us at one point doesn't mean we need to allow him to remain in charge. We need to repent. We talked about that this morning, First John 1, verse 9. We must face the fact that our... Sins have consequences in this life, and we need to be careful with that. The enemy can be defeated, but it has to be confronted, it has to be controlled. And I want us to notice, and this maybe is a little bit odd, but I noticed in the text that the enemy was commissioned. Joshua required something from them, didn't he? He put them to work. They were going to be woodcutters and carriers of water from now on, as long as Israel was in existence. They put them to work. Joshua took his mistake and he required something from those who had sinned. Now, we need to understand what kind of an application can we make make in our lives because of that because it can't be that particular application. That's just not possible, right? I think what we're seeing here is... God required something, and because God required it, Joshua required it. When we make mistakes in this life, God requires something. He wants us to own the mistake, repent of the mistake, and you know what? Move on from the mistake. And don't allow it to bog us down. Now, we don't want to glamorize sin. And I've heard someone say in the past, well, you see the Gibeonites, at some point they assimilated into Israel, and that's true. At some point, we notice that in 2 Samuel 21, uh, verses 2 through 6, the Gibeonites became a part of Israel. They assimilated. But it's because Joshua in the beginning required something from them. God required something from them. And so when we make a mistake and we do what is required, we can be absorbed into the family of God. And that's what he expects. Joshua and Israel. You see, they thought they were making a treaty with a people far away. When we look at the illustration of which we spoke a few moments ago in the animal world, the ant kingdom, when they would carry the caterpillar into their very nest, they thought they had someone that belonged there, someone that was, was a part of who they were. And all the while it's destroying their nest, destroying them. You know, Joshua made a mistake, but he didn't allow that to happen. He did some things, and he defeated, ultimately, his enemy. And that's what God wants for us. Are we defeating the enemy? Or are we allowing the enemy to deceive us and destroy us? Because he'll do it. That's what he wants. If you've never obeyed the gospel, Satan wants you to believe that you don't have to. That's deceptive and destructive. If you have obeyed the gospel and and you've sinned, Satan wants you to believe that that's okay. Just ignore it. It'll go away. That's deceptive and that's destructive. We know that we have to repent of all sin. We have to confess all sin, whether publicly or privately. Normally it's privately, isn't it? Or we can go to someone and we can straighten things out with an individual. But either way, God expects us to obey the gospel, remain faithful, and if we don't, to take care of that in a proper way. If you have need to answer the Lord's invitation tonight, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.